Hi guys, it's Paul Goss and I just did an amazing interview with Left Coast Pirates. It was so much fun and if any other pirates get the chance to be on Left Coast Pirates, I really do suggest it and have a great time guys. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! Coming to you just west of the Ward Place Gate, from San Diego, California, he is Mike Dizzy Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tommy Chilkaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. How you doing today, Mikey? Good morning, Tommy. Doing well. I'm, I think I'm starting to get the cabin fever to kind of wear off a little bit. The, the doors are opening. Society's starting to open again, but the summer series continues on. And you know what's interesting, Mike? We've been getting lots of different players from lots of different time frames. This is going to be an interesting time frame because this is going to be at the end of the Lewis Orr reign and the beginning of the Gonzo times. We have Paul Gauze joining us today. So here's what I think about when you say the name Paul Gauze. Bobby Gonzalez era kind of comes to mind right away. Ball of energy, over the top, Bobby's persona. And then here's Paul who felt like he was shot out of a cannon Every time he takes the court, he's in your face defensively. He's going for steals. He's at the rim. He was just a fun player to kind of watch and, and kind of root alongside. He had that underdog mentality, which was kind of like the MO of that team during Bobby's era, always trying to fight for that level of respect. So that's kind of how I remember Paul. But Paul's got a lot of cool stories towards his playing days that if you weren't a fan during that time period, you probably don't know about. So I'm I'm excited to ask him about some of these one-off stories and get his take on it and defensive guys are usually the ones that are easy to really like because you know defense you have to give up of yourself and paul was one hella defender ah so let's let's do it he is third on the all-time new jersey high school scoring list scoring 3100 points for arthur p shalik cougars and was inducted to the school's athletic hall of fame in 2010 a defensive stalwart for the pirates from 2005 to 2009 led the big east in steals as a sophomore and is currently third in school history with 256 steals played professionally in europe from 2010 to 2015 and represented the Holland team's 2018 edition of the basketball tournament. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates Live, Paul Gauze. Paul, how are you today? I'm doing great, guys. How are you? Doing well. How's uh, how's everything with the family and, and friends in your circle relative to what's going on with the coronavirus? Everything's going good, actually. Uh, my fiance, um, soon to be wife, is uh, pregnant and she's expecting in June. Wow, congratulations. That's some great news. Awesome. Thanks, guys. You're taking the plunge, huh? You're going to change your life forever, huh? Yes. How'd you get sucked down that rabbit hole? How'd you meet? I met a wonderful woman. Um, Actually, it's really funny. Um, Her brother, I played basketball with her brother in grade school. Her dad is a well-known basketball player from the area. But, you know, we kind of just, you know, we met on uh, social media. But, you know, we were friends for about 10 years. And then, you know, after I you know, settled down and got a little more mature. Uh, <laughs> made, made the move. <laughs> well, congratulations. And just let me give you one piece of advice. Get as much sleep as you can right now because it all ends after after the baby's here. <laughs> That's what I've been told. Oh, no, no, you're not being told. You're, we, we are <laughs> preaching to you right now. This, this is no joke. We'll give you the book of life. Get it in now. Get it in now. <laughs> if I had to say one thing that's in the book of life from all the advice, it's get sleep now. So <laughs> <laughs> I've got it, three. Mike's got two, man. We're, we're, we know what's going down with that. Everything uh, else, you got to figure it on yourself. But that is true. But it's right, a blessing. Right. It, it's a blessing, man. It's changed my life in, in ways that I never thought it would change me. So God bless and, 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 and best to you for, for that. 
Thank All right, you. so it's it's funny. So you you meet you meet her online, and and it, everything comes full circle in life. So we're we're bringing people on, and we're doing this like historical perspective of all the players. And I want to go back and go full circle back into your high school days. Nowadays, it's interesting. I'm listening to all these younger kids come up, and they're specializing and they're playing one sport. But you were a traditional three sport athlete, you know, varsity letterman in football, basketball, and track. And man, you were one heck of a football player from what I w- went back and read about. South Jersey Group 1 champs in 03 and 04. Your senior season, you set single season South Jersey records for most touchdowns scored, 39. Points scored in a season, 236. You added 12 interceptions on defense. Team went undefeated. All-state cornerback, all-state running back, and you even got some D1 interest. So if you really wanted to, could you have found a spot to kind of land on the D1 level in football? Yeah, I mean, I was being recruited by more football schools than I were basketball, actually. They actually had a reality TV show they were doing with, like, the top football players in, like, the States. But I was I was doing too many other things to entertain it. So, you know, I was doing track and basketball at the time, so I couldn't give that too much of my time. I was recruited by every almost every football school in the country, and, and I just played football. My first year of football was in eighth grade, actually. Really? So, so if... Give me like the top two or three of that if you know you're if you said, uh, this, this guy was recruiting me, the, the audience would be impressed. Uh USC, Michigan State, Florida, yeah, Florida State, okay. Ohio State, you know, it goes it went down the line. What made you kind of really decide to do basketball over football? I mean, those are some big time names. I mean, USC's no no drop in the pan here. That's that's like the elite of the elite. I just came down to what I what I like more, you know, like I said, I was playing basketball since I was about, you know, four or five. And uh, I didn't play football until I was in eighth grade. And I wasn't even going to actually continue to play throughout high school because I was kind of afraid to get hurt for basketball. But it was just so much fun that I just, and, and I didn't know, I, I just wanted to um, increase my chances of, of getting a scholarship somewhere. So I said, if I played football, basketball, and track, you know, that would increase my chances of, hopefully getting a scholarship and my parents not having to pay for me to go to school. Would you have played on the defensive side of the ball in college instead of uh, running back? I was being recruited more so as a corner or defensive back because I only played running back for one year and that was my senior year. I played wide receiver and wing back for, the, for my first three years of my career. You know, what's funny. At the time, I was a bigger corner. Now they got corners that are like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, but at yeah, that of course. time, 5'11", 6 foot, you're considered a pretty big corner back then. I mean, most of them were about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, maybe 5'10". So the, that position has really evolved as well. Well, like Mike said, you seem like an old school type of guy, not specializing in one, doing everything a little bit. But the talent was definitely on the court because you were killing it. Over 25 points a game for each of your seasons and in your senior season, almost 34 points a game, almost seven boards, over five assists, almost four steals. You led your school to the to its first ever boys basketball South Jersey Group 1 championship, as well as a trip to the state finals, which you happen to lose in overtime to Science Park High School. And more impressively, you're one of two South Jersey players to score over 1,000 points in a single season and 3,000 in a career, the other being DeWan Wagner. Man, that's a pretty exclusive list to be on. What made you such a dynamic scorer in high school? I just think that, you know, my AAU team was really, really good, and we played on a uh, really good circuit. We were one of the uh, better AAU teams in the country. We were actually, the, I think, ranked the number one AAU team in the country. At one point, we had J.R. Smith, Andrew Byam. You know, he went to the league. J.R. went to the league. Brian Zubek went to uh, Duke. We had Craig Moore, Anthony Farmer went to Rutgers. You know, he was my AAU backcourt teammate. And coming down to South Jersey to group one, you know, where they may have like a 6'3 or 6'4 center when you've been playing the whole summer against 6'11, 7 foot centers, you know, it's not as hard, I guess. You know, like if I lay the ball up on the 6'3 center, it's a lot easier than laying it up on the 6'11 big man, you know, to actually have big men. So, I just looked at it like, man, listen, if I could, if I got to do this every night, then I'll be all right. Are you trying to say, Paul, that South Jersey basketball, the level of competition is just not as high? Is that what it is? You know, we don't have as big people. Like, we don't have, the, the, you know, up, up north in, 
you know, you go to Atlanta. Wait, you go whoa, to whoa, Atlanta. What, what, what about the Central? Tom and I have been debating this all the time. Anything south of the Amboys is South Jersey, Mike. Get over it. Help me, help me out here, Paul. I'm, I'm from like the Monmouth County Shore area. I consider that Central New Jersey, and I consider that's where I you grew it. up. I mean, I'm super south. So that's you're super south. Thank you. You're super south. Tom, Tom says there's no such thing as Central New Jersey. He sends me there, articles all the time. There definitely is. There's a there's a South South. There's a Central. Then there's a North Jersey. <laughs> Thank you. Tom, for the record, Paul Gauze has laid it All down. All right, we're not going to go into the whole pork roll Taylor Ham debate either. Let's move <laughs> on with this. But in all seriousness, Paul, 3,144 points. Man, that is crazy. You must have had, just like you had on the football side, a lot of offers. You must have had a lot of offers on the basketball side. So who else besides Seton Hall was looking at you? You know, it was actually funny because a lot of schools wanted me to just say I was going to play um, basketball. So the basketball recruiting was a little let's see what you do type deal because I did, I really wanted to play both. I wanted to play both football and basketball when I went to college. But either side wasn't really willing to let me. Like if I played football, I had to be on the football scholarship. They didn't want me to play basketball. And if I played basketball on the basketball uh, scholarship, they didn't want me to play football because – they're like, you're going to be a high recruit either way, and we can't really afford you to get hurt. So if, I guess if I wasn't a little – if I wasn't as good at one of them, I may have been able to do both, but it was it was tough. But, uh, you know, Seton Hall came in late. They actually came in during the Group 1 state run that we had, and they came in and they – because Justin Sarasoli had transferred, like, right before the – I remember that. You were a very late addition to the recruiting class. Justin Sarasoli had transferred, so they were looking for another guard, and I guess they were at, the, at Rutgers watching – watching me play and I was I played pretty well that game so yeah I, well, when I came up came up on a visit and that's it was history after that so what tipped it in Seton Hall's favor how come you went to the hall well I went I visited Rutgers and the campus was just way too big man I was like there's no way I'm gonna be able to hop on a bus or get a bike and you know it was just overwhelming and I went to Seton Hall you know I'm like man I can get across campus in seven eight minutes <laughs> you, can roll, you can roll out of bed late and still not be late for class right 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 you know and everybody was really nice you know and everybody was really warming and I just felt comfortable there and you know, it was a, I felt like it was a great fit it felt great and it wasn't too far from home you know my, my family could get up and I can get back home and you know I can be relatively close but far enough away and it, it just felt like a, a great fit for me well, obviously, we're really excited and happy that you made that choice because it was a good fit. You got right into the thick of things, and in your freshman year, you had your Big East debut on January 4th against St. John's in a thrilling 69-61 overtime game. You stuffed the stat sheet, seven points, four steals, four boards. It's not a bad game, right? But the next day in the papers, the recap was not about that. It was about a couple other infamous storylines. So with St. John's leading... 45-27, you make a steal on an inbounds pass and proceed to put St. John's up by 20. Yeah. Paul, so, walk, so walk, me, walk me through what happened on that play. Let me speak about that. We were pressing, and they and they 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 uh, skewed that story to the max. I was we there, were, Paul. Paul, I was there. I was sitting was sitting six rows on that baseline. This isn't about you. Let Paul talk. <laughs> we were pressing, and I. I wouldn't say purposely laid the ball in, but it was kind of the press and the ball was just tipped up and it, it it was crazy. It looked like I did it on purpose, but I really didn't. And, you know, um, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to, uh, to redeem myself <laughs> because I mean, I mean, I've uh, never actually tipped or anything like that into the wrong basket. So at the time I was kind of like, what did you just do? But, <laughs> Um, oh, I, it, it was and, a sur, it was a surreal moment. I, I like I said, I, I was at that game. I'm sitting six rows back, foul line extended, and as the teams go to the timeout, the the crowd's booing. The people are making mass exodus up the aisles to kind of leave because the team's down twenty. But that's what makes that game stick out in my memory so so vivid. We're down twenty, and the team never quits. You guys immediately start to rally back, and as you said, you get a chance to redeem yourself in in true storybook fashion you get a shot on the baseline. It's like a little double pump, kind of like little baseline shot at the buzzer to send the game to OT. And then you also hit a crucial bucket in OT to help the team win. How exciting was that moment in your career to kind of overcome the, the gaff earlier in the game? 
Well, my thought process was there's like, cause you know, I, there was games I didn't play. I didn't play much before the Big East opener and our non-conference, you know, I got a lot of DMPs. Um, I wasn't very happy cause I, you know, I was a competitor and I wanted to play. Um, so once I got my Big East opportunity in that first game, I was like, there's no <laughs> way I'm not making an impact. You know, like I have to find a way to, you know, to uh, have the coaches believe in me and trust in me and my teammates believe in me and trust in me. And and, the, and Lewis Orr was like, well, if you want to play, you're going to have to play defense. You know, Lou Orr was big on the defensive end. Um, and that was, I think, my biggest hurdle while maybe wasn't playing because we did play a lot of zone in high school. So the man principle and the speed of the game and all that, really, I was really behind. So I had to really catch up with that point. But I think in that game, uh, I was guarding Eugene Lawrence, and he was playing pretty well that game. So my memory was just don't give them a reason not to play you. I didn't care what else happened, so that was my main focus. And after I scored in the wrong basket, I was like, yeah, you got you to make up for that. <laughs> so did. I think did. that so. helped fuel me a little bit more, and uh, I'm glad the outcome was what it was and we got the win. Well, that was the first of many exciting games for the Hall that year. You went on to beat four ranked opponents and get in that large bid after being on the bubble. Did the team think it was NIT bound after that disappointing loss to Rutgers that year in the opening round of the BET, or were you guys confident that you were making that tournament? No, we were pretty confident. I think I think the when we beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh on their senior night um, was I think was the clincher for us. You know, Pitt. I think they didn't lose a home game that season or something of that sort, or a Big East game at home, and we we went went in there and got that win. And I think that was one of the major major wins towards late in the season to help put us over the bubble. We had beat some other good teams like West Virginia and other teams as that with, uh, you know, Pitt Snoggle and them guys. Yep. Absolutely. So we had some good quality wins. And I just think that win right there uh, solidified our spot in the tournament. Well, we had Donald Copeland join us last summer. And he talked about how he was playing on a bum ankle that year that he essentially had torn up prior to the start of the season. Did you and your teammates have any idea he played hurt that whole season? Oh, yeah, he let us know every practice. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kills us, man. He told us he was, like, letting a cat out of the bag. He said he wasn't. Oh, yeah. He was giving us the exclusive. Giving the scoop, yeah. Yeah, you know, Donald was great. Um, You know, he had mole skin and, you know, all type of tape on his ankles, you know. His ankles barely fit in his sneaker. And he let us know about it. You know, he coming into practice saying, Oh, we're going to win today. You know, we ain't losing. You know, I'm only half half of myself, but I still ain't losing today. You know, you know, Donna was a, he was, he was a character, you know, but he was a leader. You know, he, he taught me a lot, you know, about, about being a, you know, a, a college basketball player. It's, it's a lot that goes into it. You know, he was a senior and he waited his turn, you know, behind some great guards. And I just really latched on to him and, and, you know, Jamar Nutter and those guys, that that been through the wars, you know, and they really helped me, you know, with my game. And and I had to find my niche on that team because that team was really talented. Well, you know, Kelly Whitney and Donald and Jamar and Grant and all those other guys. And I think it was only two freshmen that came in, or three freshmen that came in, me, John, and Dave. So, you know, we really had to to lock in and and, and get on board because I tell you what, Donald Jamar and Kelly and Grant were on a mission. You know, that was their, you know, uh, Donald's and uh, Kelly's senior year, and they were they were going to make the tournament. Donald said he wasn't even sure. So you, you felt confident that those wins were going to put you over the top. I'm with you. When I watched that Pittsburgh game, I thought that was the clincher for the resume. But I remember being at the Big East tournament game, and the Rutgers fans were kind of chanting NIT as the final seconds were kind of playing down because – we were expected to win. You guys were expected to win that first round of the biggest tournament, move on and just kind of solidify your spot. That was a cohesive group. So when Donald said that you guys got the announcement, he's like, it was a, a pure level of joy for them to know that the accomplishments that you had throughout that season were recognized. Do you agree? Um, I mean, I was a freshman, so, you know, uh, I didn't know how hard it was to, you know, get into the tournament, you know, until my sophomore, junior, senior year, but I was a freshman. So I was like, whoa okay you know like <laughs> this is how it goes you know and you know Lou Orr was you know they've been in the tournament I get I think four out of the six years or something like that you know NIT so Lou had a good resume of getting into the guys into the tournament you know I think we had the best RPI in the league for defensive we held the, we held the teams to the lowest amount of points in the league that year 
Um, so we had a good resume and we, you know, we backed it up. You know, we did slip up against Rutgers in the, in the tournament, but I think our body of work was already, you know, was already good enough, you know, and some teams that things like that happen in the tournament, you know. All right. So speaking of Lewis Orr, at the end of that season, uh, athletic director Joe Quinlan decides to relieve Coach Orr of his duties, despite, as you said, he was 80 and 69 over the last five years, three postseason appearances. He's got good camaraderie with all the players. He's got that family attitude. The team's playing well overall. How surprising was it for you and the rest of the team to kind of hear this news? Man, uh, I, I was, I was, I was devastated. Now I was going to transfer. I wasn't going to any. Um, any summer workouts, you know, I wasn't really at school unless I needed to be for class. You know, I was like, I'm out, you know, Marcus Cousin left, Dave Palmer left, uh, you know, Brian Lang was actually going to leave. There were some guys that were going to leave, but, you know, I had uh, talked to my father and, you know, he was just like, man, just stick it out, stay there, see what happens. And I, I liked the guys that were there, so. It was it was a it was definitely tough losing Lou because Lou was such a family person and I looked at Lou as an extension of the family. You know he was he was good to me. He brought me there, and you know what, we were like we just made the tournament. We were only losing two people. You know we had some good guys coming in and you know John Garcia and Dave Palmer. So we were felt like you know we lost Kelly and Donald, which would have been a big hit. But we felt like we could have possibly got to the tournament. You know, the, the following year, learned, being that we had that experience the, uh, our freshman year and the guys coming back with Lou and you didn't know who he was going to bring in. So it, it, it was a tough blow losing Lou after you make the tournament. Well, especially because as you described Louie's demeanor, they brought in somebody who's the polar opposite, right? You got Bobby Gonzalez, who's now from a media perspective, he's got high energy. He's in your face. He's got bravado. And I felt like the teams took on his style of, of attitude or his personality on the court right away. In 2006, 2007, and the 2007, 2008 seasons, the team ranked third and fourth respectively in most steals as a team in Seton Hall history. You know, what was it like playing in that up-tempo, full-court pressure style for Bobby? Um, it was fun. I mean, like as a guard and as a player, you know, you like to get up and down the floor. You like to cause chaos. Uh, but I don't think we may have had the horses in the stable to, to run that type of, you know, high energy and high, cause we didn't, we, you know, people were transferring. We had a lot of freshmen come in and that takes a bench. You know, you gotta be able to have people to put in fresh bodies to put in to keep up the level of play because, you know, at that time, the Big East was the, was the best conference in the country, hands down. So, you know, you had teams that you press all game, but they just subbing people in and out, you know, and you're, once you get worn down, you know, them starters and stuff come back in. And, you know, that season I felt we had a lot of close games that we let slip at the end of the season because – or end of the game just because we were tired. Even though we worked really, really hard and we were really in shape at that level, you know, and we were undersized most of the – you know, most of my whole – rest of my three years, we were undersized and undermanned, so – it was tough, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. It really helped me. It really propelled my game, and I guess it uh, helped me, you know, exploit my strengths, you know, with my speed, quickness, and all the other things, getting in passing lanes. So I really had a lot of fun, and I know we had a lot of guards, and I, I, I think I could speak for them and say they had a lot of fun as well. I want to stick with the Bobby Gonzalez theme here. So people have joked and said Bobby could make coffee nervous with how agitated he could get on the sidelines and in his press conferences. Tell us what it was like playing for Bobby and, you know, was he a different person behind the scenes than us fans got to kind of see on the front stage? Not at all. That's who, that's <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. That's who he was. You know, that's who he was on the bus in practice and films. That's who he was, you know, um, Kevin Murphy, his assistant, German player, you know, they were the, they, to me, Kevin Murphy was the guy that was our glue. You know, he, he knew how to deal with Bobby, but he was a player coach and he, you know, he knew us individually and he would kind of write the ship whenever things would get a little hectic. You know, Kev was, Kev, Coach Murphy was the guy that really, really helped us. And, you know, he knew everything. He knew both sides. So he would understand our feelings, but also explain to us, you know, how to, how Coach Gonzalez was and, 
how how to help us understand him more. So because Coach Gonzalez really couldn't explain it, he just you know this is what we're going to do and that's that. And you know you respect it to a certain level, but as you know, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, it's it's kind of hard to get a message sometimes when it's uh, portrayed that way. And Coach Murphy was good at you know breaking it down to more of a sensitive, sensible level for us. Well, Gonzo's aggressive energy and style seemed to mesh very well with how you like to play defense. 2006 and seven, you led the Big East in steals with 90, which was a school record at the time. You also finished first in the league in steals that season with a little bit over three. And your senior season, you finished off with 2.7. As we mentioned earlier, you're currently third in school history with 256 swipes. Now, that energy really came to light in a Big East tournament game against Syracuse. You know, here we are, we're down 20, and you're hustling down to the very last second, and it seemed like the refs came over to you to tell you to tone it down, but you were going for that steals record, I, I bet. So you end up falling four short of catching Danny Calandrillo's school record. How important of a milestone was that for you? Uh, I don't I, – I just that's just the way I played, you know, Um Especially if you're losing, every possession counts to me. I don't care if I'm if we're if we're not winning, and we're not winning by a lot, and we're losing, then I'm not trying to get embarrassed. I'm not trying to lose by 20. So if I can cut it to 18, 16, 15, 14, I know all that stuff counts and all that stuff matters at the end of the day. And for the steals, I don't know. I just felt like I just embraced it. I guess I just embraced defense and trying to steal the ball. You know, we had other guys who do other things. And then, you know, from like I said, from my freshman year, I could just kind of try to fill in wherever we needed to avoid. And I just felt like steals and and you know, Bobby was good on getting easy points, get steal and layup. You know, that's an easy basket, and it's a, it's a it can change the games and it can seal games and it can turn momentum. So I just felt like if I didn't get hurt, I would be number one. Now, we've spoke to a few guys who were kind of going after the scoring record, and we asked them kind of teasingly, did you know the number? Did you know how much you had to get? Come on, Paul, give us an idea. Did you know that you needed X amount of steals over the next couple games to get to that record? My, my, I, I just wanted to try to get double-digit steals in a game. Like, that was my <laughs> ultimate goal. Yes, yeah, so it was trying to get double-digit steals in a game. And, we, and the funny thing is we had, like, a chart that we used to do like with, with like deflections and steals and everything and I was winning that chart every week or trying to win that chart every week so I knew if like somebody else got three steals I'm like oh he got three steals in the first half like half, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta pick it up a little bit so we had like a, a uh you know inner squad little competition that we had going on I I wasn't super sure I knew I was close but uh, no, nah, I didn't really like know to the T what I needed. You know, like I think once I got within a certain amount of numbers, you know, the coaches would say, yo, you only need like three steals or two steals. But if they didn't tell me, then I, I wouldn't have. Or, you know, a manager might whisper to me because we were pretty cool with the managers and stuff on the team. And they would be like, yo, you only need like three steals. You got to get like four steals a day. <laughs> so they would give me a little, you know, little, little bit incentives to, you know, maybe play a little harder or dive after that loose ball. So. You know, they, they, they let me know. You know, there is that excitement that gets built up from a steal as well, that turning of the momentum and whatnot. But as as it is so many times in sports, it's probably a safe bet to say that if not for your injuries that you had suffered, that record would have been yours, you know, the all-time school record. Junior year was a rough year for you physically. First, you had yeah. broken a knuckle that cost you seven games. And then ultimately, you tore that ACL in your left knee on a drive to the basket against Notre Dame. Knowing how competitive of a player you are, how difficult was it for you to be out for that kind of extended period of time? Yeah, like I say, that's I think that's where I did my most growing. You know, up to up to graduating, I did. That's where I did my most growing in. It was tough, man, you know, especially being on a team that, that, you know, struggles a little bit due to transfers and things of that nature. It was tough watching us struggle and, you know, seeing where you could help the team at. But uh, Coach Coach G and Coach Murph did a good job of almost making me an extension of the coaching staff. 
you know, so I would sit right up there. If you ever watched the, the, the film, I would sit right up there with the coaches, man, and they would ask me questions. Sometimes Coach G would be so nervous. He's like, Paul, what should we run? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like he, would be, <laughs> he would be asking me for plays, man, or who do you think should guard this guy? Like, I need something. Who do you think should guard this guy? You know? So I really felt, and my teammates did a good job also. They always, you know, dat me up and make sure I was good. So it was tough, but I guess the hardest part was just not being able to do the everyday things with the guys, like hit the weight room, practice, shoot around. You know, I was just kind of like sitting around all the time. The games were, I was so much into the games where I, you kind of get lost in the game watching as a fan, I guess, and uh, trying to help the guys with like matchups and, you know, scout report. So I spent a lot of time doing that, but it was definitely tough not being able to be on the court. But I did a lot of growing and I learned a lot about myself. And then when I did come back, it, it just, I couldn't play the same way that I used to in my junior or senior year. So, I mean, my senior year. So, I, I you know, I couldn't, I wasn't as athletic. I wasn't able to jump as much. So I had to rely on flowers and mid-ranges. And not just, you know, using raw athletic ability. I had to think a lot more, I think. Well, you mentioned Gonzo keeping you involved and getting you up there. Do you think in general Gonzo gets a little bit of a bad rap? I mean, it was real exciting when when the folks brought him in. He was a real hot prospect coach. And because of what we saw as as the school record ended up being, I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap for it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, you know, Gonzo brought some really good basketball players into the program. You know, he brought, you know, Keon and Herb and Jordan Theodore. You know, he brought some good guys into the program. It's just, it's hard. It, it was hard at that time to, you know, have three, four guys transfer, two guys graduate, you know, and be effective in that league because so many teams were so good. Like, like I said, my freshman year, I think our first 13 league games were versus top 25 teams in the country. You know, and that, that was no different my sophomore and junior and senior year. You know, you play your first 10 or 15, 13 league games and you're playing against top 25 teams in the country or at least top 30 teams in the country for sure. You know, and with a, a depleted roster, you know, and then guys get hurt, guys get, get nicked up. You know, Brian Lang was our center. Six three. <laughs> we used to, we used to read like on the social media boards where fans would joke and say Larry Davis was at center one spot where you're like all five guards. Larry Davis at six six three. Well, he was a string bean, right? You know, a, a buck th- buck forty five, and he's playing center against right. biggest competition. I, I mean, it, it was crazy. Like I remember one game, I was guarding power forwards. You know, just like Dante Cunningham and things of that nature. Like man, come on! I mean, it was fun, but if you if you look back at it, you know, it, it was a struggle. That league was super tough, man. It had super talented guys, and you know, we fought, we scratched and clawed. But at the end of the day, you know, we just didn't have the size to compete with a lot of those teams at that time. All right, so I want to rewind. You talked about having to be on the sidelines in that junior year where you're injured. You know, you got a chance to kind of play pseudo coach. But for the most part, you're kind of sitting back and cheering on the guys and almost acting like a fan and getting caught up in the moment, as you, as you mentioned. There was a particular game where you had to kind of watch from the sidelines, and it was a thrilling 92-82 to 82 win at the Rock over Rick Pitino and Louisville. And that night, there's a freshman who Jeremy. puts on a dazzling 29-point performance. He goes 8 of 14 from three, and there's Jeremy Hazell with his coming out party. Describe how dynamic of a scorer Jeremy was for those who didn't get a chance to see him play. Man, you know, when uh, the funny thing is when he came in on his recruitment visit, you know, he was in a gym, he had jeans on, he was in a gym and he was shooting. And we're like, yo, this kid's going to be good, man. You know, this this kid's going to be good. He can really help us. And then he came in and you just see him get more and more comfortable throughout, you know, the games and practice and the season. And that Louisville game, I think I, that's when I had broke my hand. I still had my cast on for my hand. And he was just letting it go from the parking lot. You know what I mean? And then I think they uh, interviewed Patino and he was like, you know, I wouldn't allow my players to, you know, shoot from from that range or something of that nature. And, you know, we just said that's because you don't have a Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? And to for, for a lot of fans and, and people who didn't get to see maybe Jeremy in practice, you know, that was that was a routine shot for him. 
You know what I mean? So we were more than comfortable from him shooting that thing from NBA range because he he proved in practice that he can make that shot consistently. You know, contested. You know, he's one of the one of the better contested shot makers that I've seen in in college. You know, or anywhere really. You know, he has really long arms and big hands, and he once he gets it going, you know, he's 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 a he's a handful to deal with. Yeah, there's another guy who I think doesn't get as much respect as he deserves. But talking about your senior season, the team went 17 and 15, but played a total of 12 games versus ranked opponents that season. Now, the Big East ultimately sent seven teams to that NCAA tournament and represented about 50% of the teams that were still playing in the Elite Eight. You mentioned it a little bit before when you were saying the Big East was the top league in the country then, but how good was that conference from top to bottom at that time? The conference was was tough, you know. Even if you if you look at uh if you look at us, if you look at Rutgers, look at South Florida, DePaul, you know, some of them teams that were maybe at the bottom towards the back of the pack were still teams that that was beating some of the top teams in the in the country and some of the top teams in the league. You know, you there was no night off. Like you know, we we beat Georgetown that year. So it was it was good, you know. We 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 had so many tough games with like Marquette, and you know they were really good at the time. And that league, you know, Syracuse, it was just a war every night. And if you weren't prepared for that for that type of game, especially on the road, you could get embarrassed. Yeah, I, I thought that that year that team was good enough to make the tournament as well. You guys had two tough non-conference games where you lost IUPUI and at James Madison. And then early in the Big East regular season, you had two overtime games at home against Villanova and Providence in which you both lost. I was sitting there talking with Tommy, and I'm like, Tom, if you flip those four games and you take that 17 and 15 and make it 21 and 11, they're in, right? right. So did you have any regrets looking back that you didn't make the NCAA tournament again after that freshman year? Um, I wouldn't say any regrets because I can't say we didn't prepare. You know what I mean? Like we 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 practice and we 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 worked hard. I mean, that we I think we worked harder my sophomore, junior, senior year preseason and preparing than we did my freshman year. By far, Bobby was he got he got everything out of you. You know, what I mean, we we were running, we were in shape, we were you know in the gym. Guys were spending extra time in the gym. It was just that you just gotta have more. If you think about my freshman year, you know, the bench was good with, you know, me coming off the bench, Brian Lang coming off the bench, Marcus Kuzan coming off the bench. We had, we had really good bench players that, you know, contributed to the team. And then if you look at the other years, we may have were seven deep, six or seven deep, you know what I mean? And, and it was two guards. We, <laughs> it wasn't really any bigs coming out. So well, I don't, I don't remember John Garcia ever really being healthy for his four years there. Right. I mean, so he's part of that rotation and you're not even getting a, a full John Garcia. At any yeah, and John actually redshirted, you know, John was a redshirt. So he didn't even play because he had, I think broke his kneecap or dislocated his kneecap or something of that nature. But, you know, John was picked to be the fifth best center in the big East coming in as a freshman. So he was highly touted, you know, he wind up, you know, facing injuries, you know, I mean, it was unfortunate because he was super talented. It, it still is super talented. He wound up having a pretty good career over in DR after, um, after, you know, he graduated and he was able to stay healthy for a long time after that. But in college, you know, it was tough for him. You know, there's plenty of days I had to talk him off the ledge because imagine being hurt every year. That can't be good for the mental health of a person. And that was my roommate. You know, he was my college roommate. Oh, so. I didn't know that. Okay. But, you know, it was it was interesting. And uh, I think we could have made the tournament. You know, we let a couple got, a couple games slip. You know, we, were, we were young, and we were still learning how to win. And, you know, we just didn't have the big man. Brian Lang was playing the four fives. You know, he's 6'3". Uh, he was an all-conference performer, though, playing out of position, Davis right? He's playing the four sometimes. Playing the four, and he's making, like, second-team All-Big East. Or, I mean, or, I mean he might even make first-team All-Big East his senior year. I mean, yeah. so I, I give Brian all the kudos in the world because he, he led the biggest in scoring. So I mean, it, the the offensive side wasn't a problem for us. We could score with anybody. It was coming down the stretch, getting stops, consistent getting stops down the stretch, and that's where we struggled. Where you know we get initial stop, but teams just get an offensive rebound and lay the ball back up because we just don't have the size to compete for forty minutes. Now, when you were done with your playing days at the hall, you kind of changed course. 
and trying your hand back at football again. This is this to me blows my mind here. You actually worked out for the New York Jets and then had a short stint with the Las Vegas locomotives in the United Football League. Now, first of all, how did you secure a tryout with the Jets after not playing football for all those years? Uh, they actually came to senior night when we played Pittsburgh at home my senior year. And Terry Bradway was the GM at the time. And he's from mainland, which is down by South Jersey. And he was the GM at the Jets. And it, I guess I played against his son in basketball. And, you know, he knew of me of football in high school. So they were at, so happened, I guess they were at our, my senior night game and they came and checked me out. They was like, well, do you, well, do you have any interest in playing football? I was like, why not? Let's see what happens. So I went to Florham Park. You know, that's only like 20 minutes from Seton Hall. They just had built, that was the first year they built that new practice facility up there in Florham Park. And I went up there, I worked out. They liked me. They said we could either draft you in the seventh round or we could send you out to, to Vegas to get more, you know, um, exposure. And I got more money. So I was like, I'm going to Vegas. You know, I'll get more money. I get to actually play. But I wind up tearing my hamstring out there. Yeah, it's just a, it's a totally, it's totally different for the body and the muscles. And I was just coming off my ACL. My knee wasn't a hundred percent. So, you know, with, with just practicing every day in the daily grind and, you know, retraining my muscles, I was like super, super sore. Like I've never been this sore in my life. And then, you know, tackling and hitting and doing all those drills. And we were just on a um, defensive drill and I just tore my hamstring so I had to leave early and go to Alabama to Dr. Andrews and you know I spent my time out there rehabbing they did call me back the following year to you know come back but I was like nope I'm going to play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you, man. You had a little thing to fall back on, which was basketball, because you headed out to Europe after that, and you played in places like Germany, Slovakia, Morocco, and you put up really good numbers, always seeming to be around 15 points and four assists. So we always like to ask our globe-trotting pirate guests, what was their favorite stop along the way and why? Uh, I think my favorite stop was England. For one, they spoke English. I could understand them very easily. And I was on a really good team. You know, like I said, we won the championship there my first year. And I had I had really good players and the food was good and it was a it was a little cold, but that that's probably my favorite place to play is England, just because we you know the culture around the team. It was a very professional team and I I learned a lot from the guys that were there. Any now, reason you only stayed for about four years, Paul, and then came back to the States? Well, I, I, you know, you, you know, because I played football, I had a class to finish at Seton Hall. So after okay. playing, after playing overseas, I was like, man, I'm getting a little bit older. I need to come back and you know, kind of solidify some things at home. And one of them was was getting my degree and finishing school. So I, I came back to finish school, and I, I did that. Well, Tom's a big fan of the international play of our players. I'm a huge fan of this, the basketball tournament that they play in the summertime. Right. I like watching like the Ohio State guys get together and the Marquette guys get back together. And it kind of brings back those memories. I've always been excited to hope that Seton Hall would put together its team one year. And a couple of years back, you guys decided to do that. So there it is, 2018, and you're throwing the jersey back on and you're averaging over 11 points a game, five and a half boards. And there's you and Jeremy as teammates in the backcourt again. What was it like to kind of play with him and some of the other guys again? Man, that was great. I, I wish we could have got more guys out to come play with us. You know, we were reaching out to like, you know, Keon, God rest his soul, Keon Lawrence, um, you know, Melvin Oliver, Jamar. We were trying to get more guys out, but a lot of guys had things, you know, they, they, they couldn't get out of. But Jeff Robinson came, you know, Jamel Jackson, he was hurt though. And Jeremy, you know, and me, I haven't played in a, in a that was like maybe two years out I haven't played. But it was fun, man. It was it was really fun. I just remember Jeremy. Jeremy has not seen a shot he doesn't like. <laughs> like the first two possessions of the game, he's bombing away, and I'm like, there he is. He's back. Yeah, he 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 got tired. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he definitely he definitely had like 11 points in like I don't know four minutes or something. Crazy. <laughs> man, I knew I knew I was like, yo, Jeremy's a scorer. So if he's not scoring, you know, he's he's like, okay, Jeremy's not scoring. Maybe we should take him out. Well, you, you seemed after you were going through those names, those were a lot of high volume shooters. I, you, were you just happy to get the ball around to the guys? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I mean, like I said, I was, you know, on a defensive end, just doing what we needed to do, you know, trying to, you know, be vocal because we didn't play together in a while. We had some other guys, some other good players that, you know, didn't go to seat hole. 
So just trying to be vocal and getting people in the spots because you didn't have a lot of practice time, especially us. Can you see yourself putting together another team in the future or is it time to pass the torch to the younger guys? Um, I'm actually playing with Team Hank Gathers this year. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be playing with Team Hank Gathers this year. Um, hopefully, you know, with the tournament, you know, you got to have guys that are committed. So hopefully in the future we can get, like, you know, Desi Rodriguez and those guys to – Fuquan Edwin and them some of them guys to to hop on the hop on and play with us. So we can just get, you know, some high profile players. They want high profile players. Now that's this league is taking off. And if if you don't present them, you know, with some some guys who are currently overseas and doing them some things, maybe get Jordan Theodore to play with us, you know, I, I talked to him. How, know, so how does that work? Does, does the team have to get selected? Because I saw you guys had submitted a name back for the you know, 19 season, but you guys didn't get put into the field of 64. So you have to almost kind of petition your team and be like, you know, we're going to attract eyeballs. Is, is that how it has to right. work? They, well, they want, they wanted to be, you know, they wanted you to put a, a good team in representation of your school and their league. You know, you know, the first year we, we probably had more people who weren't alumni that played with us than were alumni. And they were like, well, the second year, 2019, we want to, we want some guys to, you know, solidify that they're going to be in the league if we're going to put you guys in. And, you know, we had like, like I said, Desi and all those guys, but they were with the Clippers and doing summer league and all that other stuff. And they, they couldn't. I think Fuquan got hurt, so it, it was tough getting going because you know other teams and you know, alumni teams had like you know twelve or fourteen players that were definitely going to play with them. So hopefully in the future we can we can get this going and get get back in that tournament because it's a lot of fun and it's good. Uh, oh, the, the fans get really behind it. I watched the Syracuse alumni team and man, those fans travel. It feels like it's a Syracuse home game <laughs> in some of those games. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 like. Marquette and you know because we played at Marquette you know, they have a whole bunch of people so Georgetown had a good good crowd and we actually had a lot of uh, some people come out to to Marquette to support us as well so it was fun it's a good environment it's a it's a really well ran tournament they take care of you and you get nice stuff you know we had jerseys with our names on it and all type of stuff so what do you what do you think about the Elam ending I like it I like it um I don't I don't. I, I like it for tournament style basketball, all star games, and things of that nature, where you know there's a target score and you can't sit on the ball, and you know you kind of reward the team that's winning because if you're up by 15 and they add the element and you go up by almost 30, you know that game is over. And the only the, the only issue I have with the Elam ending is I don't like that it could end on a free throw. I, I don't think it should end on a. Free, I think it's got to be a bucket in my opinion. Well, if you're the team that's winning, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, okay, for us less educated basketball connoisseurs, please explain the Elam ending, Mike. You can't just throw it out there, okay? Right. So, so at a certain point in the game, I believe it's the under four-minute mark of the final period, uh, whichever team is winning, you add seven points to their score, and that becomes the final target score of the game. So let's say Paul's team has got 80, and the opposing team's got 75, and we're, they're, they're under four. The first blown whistle, under four. They say, all right, now the target score is 87. So they play till the first team scores 87. So if Paul gets fouled and they got 86 and he hits one or two free throws, game's over. I'd like to see an actual bucket get hit to win the game. But the rule is once you hit the target score, game over. I, I, I hear you, but if you're winning, man, and they foul you and they give you free points. No, no, that's, that's cool. Yeah, so, I think the all-star game just ended that way, if I'm not mistaken, in the NBA. Right, it's it's not similar, yeah. Right. He got and some he, slack he, for that. He made a free throw, but that game was the most competitive game probably in 15 years. Oh, totally. No, no, I mm-hmm. I find it fascinating, but I'm with you. If it's actual, you know, competitive NCAA tournament, NBA games, I, I can't see it going to the Elamendum, but for the summertime, for this unique tournament, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like it. And it gives, it gives the, 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 uh, the underdog or the team that's losing it, you know, like, okay, Listen, man, it's not over. If we get stops, we can win the game. The, the clock won't run out. So, And you've seen some teams in that tournament come back and win <laughs> with the element. And so can't sit on the ball and not play. Well, the last 12 months for you have been really exciting. As we mentioned back in September, you got engaged. You're now expecting. Congratulations again. But in February, you were inducted into the South Jersey Basketball Hall of Fame. Now, this makes two Halls of Fame, Paul. Congratulations. Thank you. How does a recognition like this make you feel when you start looking back at your accomplishments? Um, it makes me feel good. You know, uh, I I would have never, you know, I would have never thought of it or even expected it to happen. You know, being that I came from a, a small, tiny school 
even down here in South Jersey, Shalik High School is a small, tiny school. You know what I mean? So uh, it was it was nice. You know, they were they they had been asking me a couple of years to come to the ceremony, but I was overseas and I was doing other things. And you would like have to be there. Like it's a hundred percent. There's no ninety percent. It's a hundred percent. You got to be there. So, but it was good. And I went in. I went in with some good guys. I actually went in with Pop Pop Smithabantu who, you know, played in the league and, and did some other things. And it, it was really nice, you know, family, friends, and loved ones were able to be there. And it was just a good remember, memory of what, what I used to do in high school that, you know, sometimes gets forgot about. Well, Paul, before we let our guests go, we make them walk the plank. We're going to ask you five rapid-fire questions. We expect five rapid-fire answers back. Don't think too hard about it. Just give us the first thing that pops off the top of your head. Are you ready for this? All right. All right, here we go. Question number one. Most points scored in any game at any level? 63. Which team was your biggest arch rival? Rutgers. Toughest road environment? Marquette. Toughest opposing player you've ever played? Uh, uh, JJ Redick. Best SHU player you've ever seen play? Uh, uh, Shaheen Holloway. Bonus question. Best lefty ball player besides you? Uh, I would say... I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You've walked the plank. Now I got to say, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit. I could almost see the competitive juices come out of you. Cause I told you we wanted five rapid fire answers and you were legitimately the first one to get those rapid fire answers out. We usually have to edit out a little time. I'm pulling back the curtain. Hopefully not too many people are going to be mad at me, but that was great, Paul. Thank That was great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It was really fun, guys. This is something, you know, that is really good, you know, to get back and talk to some of the former alumni and pirates, guys. I, I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and reaching out and calling me. Uh, you're welcome. I, I enjoyed watching you play. You're, you know, you're that little spitfire, give all your energy, the underdog kind of mentality. And I, I think you have a, a special place in most of the hearts of the, of the Seton Hall fans. So, for the younger generation that don't know you, you're not going to jump out on the in all the record books, maybe outside of the, the steals category. I think people should know these stories. Go back and relive that St. John's game and kind of, you know, have a fun story, but also get to kind of relive a 20-point comeback where you beat St. John's in overtime. Those are great stories, and they need to be retold. So thank you for coming on and, and sharing and being a good sport about that. No problem, guys. Thanks so much, guys, like I said. And uh, feel free to reach out and, and talk to me anytime, guys. Appreciate it, Paul. Paul Gauze, everybody. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please listen to our previous podcast with former Pirate greats Mark Bryant, Kadeen Carrington, Arturis Karnishevis, Jerry Walker, and Shaheen Holloway. For Tommy Chilkoharski, this is Mike Dizzy Dizzyri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 